Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 9. It's interesting, the night that uh, we're on Children Obey Your Parents, my kids weren't able to make it tonight, so <laughs> I'll be reteaching this when we get home tonight and when they get there. So, children, <laughs> children my kids, I, as people say, say, my kids have been awesome and, and we've been blessed by trying to follow God's plan and also the beatings have paid off. All right. But, children, Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bondservants or slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there's no partiality with him. Now, that's as far as we're going to get tonight, but there's a lot here, and I can't wait to kind of take the time to bring it out. But look closely at what Paul says here. He says that children are to obey their parents, what? In the Lord. That's very important here because you got to understand Paul is writing to Christian families here when he gives these instructions. There's a danger sometimes for people to try to use Scripture to control people who don't have the Spirit. You understand what I'm saying? This is written to Christian families. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. There's an assumption that these children have an understanding of who God is. I know of a man when I was in Chicago, uh, he and his family were not saved, but he got saved. And when I was pastoring there in Chicago, as soon as he got saved, he got so excited about his new relationship with the Lord, he tried to make his wife and children Christian. And they had been, for many years, not knowing the Lord and living lives as people would that don't know the Lord. And so he went home and cut off the TV and said, you can't watch this and you can't go there and this, that sort of thing. And they dragged him to church. And in his desire to have them know the Lord like he knew the Lord, he tried to get them to follow all the rules. And it about ruined his family. And we had to quickly jump in and say, look, thank the Lord for what he's done in your life and the change he's made in your life, but you can't make them Christian. You're going to need to let the Spirit of God take care of that. And so we kind of taught him how to back off a little bit and, and live the life that God has for him to live and to love his wife and to love his children. And if they're going to get it, the Spirit of God's going to have to open their eyes. You can't just make them obey because that's not what Paul's saying here. He's saying, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, remember last time we were together, we dealt with husbands and wives and the relationship there. Remember, we're to do it as to the Lord. When it's talking about in the Lord, you're doing it because of your relationship with Christ. This doesn't apply to people that don't know the Lord. All right, so that'll help you a little bit, maybe keep from making the same mistake that some people have made. Now, please listen closely, though. This doesn't mean that parents aren't to teach their children Christian principles. You understand? If your children are not believers, this doesn't mean that you can't teach your children Christian principles. It's just you can't command them to follow Christian principles. You need to be able to teach them and bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. So put a bookmark here. We can go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. It says, now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land which you are going over to, to possess it, 
that you may fear the Lord with your God and that your, uh, your son and your son's son, that you, sorry, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your might. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Look closely now. He's saying, I'm giving you these commands that God's given, given us, and I want you to pass them on to your children, and you're to teach them when? All the time, when you lay down and when you get up. And as you go along the way, it's going to be on the doorposts of your houses. Now, what's happened over the years, though, is people over the years have kind of expected the church to do the teaching of the children. And it's the church's job. We'll just send them to youth group, or we'll send them to children's church. Or, but... Listen closely, folks. The scripture is very clear. I'm going to show you some other examples of this. We just saw it in Ephesians 6.1. You're to raise your children in the instruction of the Lord. You are the ones that God expects it to happen in the home. And here's why it's even more important today than it has ever been. Years ago, for those of you that are older, if you, taught, if you were taught biblical instruction in your home, it was typically backed up in your classroom at school. Back when we used to be allowed the Bible and prayer and the Ten Commandments used to be on the wall. If your parents taught you about the Lord in your home, you went to the school and it was backed up. It was also backed up by the principal and by the government and even your president and your church. Nowadays, if you teach your children about the Lord, it's not going to be backed up in your school. It's not going to be backed up by the government. It's not going to be. They're going to be hearing the exact opposite all the way around. And sadly enough, in most of our churches today, they've gone away from teaching the scriptures. A lot of churches today are more interested in making everything appealing for the, the, the visitor. Where the Bible says that the seeker, we, we, we talk about our seeker services. The seeker is the Lord. The Bible says God is the one who seeks. He came to seek and save the lost. John chapter 4, he says um, that those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. For these are the kind of worshipers who the Father seeks. The seeker is God. The people that respond, that are even coming into our doors, into our churches, are the ones who have been initially drawn by the Father. They're even there just in response to what God is doing. But what we've done is we've designed our churches for the quote-unquote seekers, not understanding that if they're even there, God's begun His work in their heart. Teach them about the Lord. But in doing so, what we've done is we've turned church services into something that's going to be appealing to people, and we don't even really take the time to teach the Word of God. It has lost its importance in our churches. And you'll hear a verse, and then let's just talk about that. And so I just want you to understand, if you're not teaching them in your home, and I see somebody say, Jim, my, my, look at me, my kids are grown. Well, you got grandkids, don't you? And they like you, don't they? Actually, they might like you more than mom and dad. And you all may not realize it, but you have a great opportunity as grandparents as well to teach your children. You're going to see that in a little bit, because we're going to look at the fact that Timothy was taught by who? His mother and his grandmother. And so just, I just want to just take that time to say, the Bible teaches that that's supposed to be in the home. Don't expect someone else to do it. For those of you that were there when I was pastored in the Atlantic, and I did it when I pastored in Chicago as well, 
We used to always, when a family would dedicate a child, we would have them make three promises on that Sunday before God and before the people. They would promise that they were going to raise that child in a Christian home and they were going to strive to live according to the scripture so that child was reared in the instruction of the Lord. We also challenged that, those parents to make the promise that they were going to discipline that child according to God's design so they would understand that there's authority and ultimately that God's the final authority. And we also asked them to make a third promise that we didn't say that it had to be done this way, but we, that they would strive to lead that child to personal faith in Jesus themselves. And they wouldn't expect it to be someone else's job. That they would try to tell them and help them come to know who Jesus is. Now we also at the same time would then ask the congregation to make a vow and a promise before God. That they would live outside the walls of the church the same way that they do inside the walls. So that if this child that grows up in the church seeing them inside the walls ever runs into them outside the walls, they would be pointing them to Jesus Christ, not away from Jesus Christ. All along, the scripture has said that it's been the responsibility of the parents. God says, I want you to do this when you rise up and when you lie down. When, as you go, be teaching them about the Lord. Now, go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. You're going to see how not only have we messed it up, the preachers have messed it up. 1 Timothy chapter 3, look at verses 1 through 5. It says, the saying is trustworthy... If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Now look closely at this passage. Here the scripture is saying, look, and you've heard me talk about this before. God has given us how churches should be governed, if you will. And, and the way churches should be governed is the same way he's designed government in the home. In your home, you have a mom and a dad, Right. And they're ultimately responsible for the direction of the home. They're the elders, if you will. They're the pastors. They're the overseers. They're the ones who have given, been given that responsibility. Now, in a healthy home, there's going to be input between the children and the parents. Where would you like to go on vacation? What would you like for dinner? But ultimately, who makes the final call? Dad. <laughs> Dad. <laughs> or mom together. But yes, even ultimately, as the scripture says, if mom and dad aren't in agreement, mom needs to submit to dad decision in that. But God has designed authority in the home. What we've done over the years in our churches is we've gone to congregational government where everybody has an equal say and we wonder why we're in the chaos we're in. Amen. We're afraid of this thing called elders and it's been a design. But what Paul's saying here is, is look, these people are going to serve as elders. These people are going to serve as pastors, spiritual overseers in the church. If they don't know how to do it in their home, how in the world are they going to be able to do it in the church? But look back over all your years of going to church and tell me this isn't the case. I know it is because I've been in the ministry myself. I was a child of a pastor at the same time as I went into the ministry years and years ago. I've been preaching for 30 years. 30 years ago when I began to go into the ministry to preach and I knew God had called me to preach, I started interviewing older men who had been in the ministry for years. And I said, look, I want to learn from you. If you had to do it over again, what would you do differently? Every single one of them except one man, and that was Adrian Rogers, he said something different. Every single one of them said the same thing. They said, if I had to do it over again, I would have spent more time with my family. I neglected my family for the church. What does the scripture say? 
if we're not, it's family first, if we're not able to do it in the home, how are we able to lead the church? Yet we have all of a sudden made leading the church more important than our own families. And one of the things I do now is I travel around and I meet with churches in leadership and especially work one-on-one -on -one with pastors. I've told many a young pastor, I want to see you get fired for spending too much time with your family. God will honor that. You don't let the church determine your job description. You let the Lord determine your job description. And he's already said what it is. It starts in the home. And then once you understand how it works there, you're able to lead the church. But over the years, unfortunately, most pastors neglect their families because of the church. And so I shared this illustration um, today at a lunch that I was speaking at. And because we're being recorded, I have to be a little bit careful how I share it. A couple years ago, I had the privilege of teaching people that work overseas in parts of the world that are dangerous to share the gospel. And I was sitting down, my wife and I, counseling this young couple who had been called by God to go to this corner of the world where if they find out that you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you may be killed. And they actually had moved their family there to go and share the gospel. <clears throat> As we sat with them, the young wife was lamenting the fact that they had two young children and God had put on her heart to reach this one nationality and this one people and to go there to serve them. But she hasn't been able to go do that because she's been changing diapers and wiping noses. She said, I feel like I'm not doing what God's called me to do. My husband gets to go out there and do this work that he's put on our heart, but he's put on both of our hearts. And here I am in the house taking care of these two kids. And I looked at her and I said, wouldn't it be really cool if God were to take a couple people from this nationality and just drop them off in your house and you could just work with them 24 hours a day? She said, oh, that'd be awesome. If I could just spend 24 hours a day with them, I would love that opportunity. And I said, look how sad that is, that all of a sudden Satan has convinced you that those people of that nationality are more important than the two God's already put in your home. And you're looking at them as a hindrance to what God's called you to do instead of the most important thing that he's called you to do. And the cool thing was she understood and she wept and she realized I have been ignoring my own kids because of this call. <coughs> Folks, I want you to understand Bible's very clear. As Paul, go back to Ephesians 6, is talking to them about the husbands and wife relationship. He also says about the parent-child relationship. This is important. Remember, he said in this, this book here, I want you to understand all that's available to us in Christ. And part of it is really understanding. Put your energy in the home. Satan's convincing a lot of you ladies that you need to have a career and that you, you're wasted your degree if you're a homemaker. And, oh, folks, you don't understand. That is the highest calling. Actually, we've already seen in the scriptures where it says older women are to teach the younger women to what? To stay at home and to care for their families. Folks, don't let the world tell you that if you're a not a career woman that you've wasted your life. Please don't hear me say that a woman should never have a job. That's not what the scripture teaches at all. You look at Proverbs 31, you'll see she did some stuff. She had, a, she had, some, she had some work going on outside the home as well. But the most important place was in the home. The most important place was in the home. And so, um, yeah, we could spend our time tonight saying, children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. But I think the congregation that is here right now needs to hear the other side of it. Raise your children or your grandchildren in the Lord. I, uh, um, and I'll do this quickly because there's a lot we need to do and I'm still on the first page of, I don't know how many pages of notes here. <laughs> Yesterday I went to a funeral of a friend of mine's daughter. His daughter was 27 years old. She got the flu and uh, she started to get pneumonia. 
couldn't breathe. They rushed her to the hospital. And within a few hours of her being taken to the hospital, she died. Oh my gosh. It happened so fast. They were trying to life flight her out, and they didn't even make it. She died on Thursday, 27-year-old daughter. And they buried her yesterday in Lake City. A friend of mine and I went up, and we drove, and were there at the funeral. As we were driving up, I was praying for the family, and I just said, Lord, is there something you want me to share? Because, you know, I'm a preacher. If an opportunity arises at the funeral, I'm going to be ready to preach. I was also one of like 20 preachers that were there at that funeral that day. But as we were driving up, I saw the sign on the highway on 95 as we we're heading up. Have you ever seen the one up in Rockledge that shows the picture of the state of Florida, and there's a big hurricane coming toward it, and it says, do you have a plan? God began to speak to my heart, and he said, Jim, a godly parent, a godly father will teach his children the escape plan in case of an emergency. Hopefully you've understood what I'm talking about. If your house is on fire, if you told your kids where to go and we'll all meet outside at a tree or whatever kind of a thing, a godly parent will teach their child in case of a trouble or a disaster, here's what you do, here's the escape plan. And he said, Buddy taught Leslie the escape route. She's at the meeting place. She's at the meeting place. I didn't get to preach it, but I got to sit with Buddy and tell him ahead of time. Let me tell you something God gave me for you. She's at the meeting place. You taught her. You taught her. She came to know the Lord. And when trouble hit, here's the best part. <laughs> her big brother came and led her to the meeting place. Isn't that what Jesus said in John 14? If you don't know that, come to the cruise. We'll, we'll teach it to you. <laughs> If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me where I am. Folks, parents, grandparents, you can teach your kids how to change a tire. You can teach them how to change the oil. You can teach them things that you think are important, even how to hit a curveball if you want. But have you taught them about the Lord? Well, that's your job, Jim. No, it's not. It's my job to equip you to go teach them how to do these things and understand these truths. For too long, we've professionalized the ministry. And we've actually let the, only the pastors are allowed to baptize. Show me in the Bible where it says only the pastors are allowed to baptize. Actually, if you look in the scriptures, Jesus didn't baptize anyone. John chapter 4, verse 3 makes that very clear. He didn't baptize anyone. And on top of that, Paul didn't even hardly baptize anybody. He even said at one point, I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you guys. Actually, I baptized that one guy in this one family. Besides that, I didn't baptize anybody, he said. <laughs> But what have we done? We've professionalized the ministry, and now all the things of the Lord are to be done by the guy with the reverend degree. You know what's cool? If a godly parent actually kept those promises when they dedicated their child, and that child came to faith in the Lord, we started to let parents baptize their own kids. I started to realize, why can't he baptize them? And you know what that does to the guy sitting in the pew that's not living as he ought? Spirit of God's going to convict him and say, man, I wish I could baptize my kids. Well, you can if you follow God's plan. All right. Go real quick to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. John 4, 2. Jesus didn't yeah, John chapter 4, verse 2. I said verse 3. You're right. John chapter 4, verse 2. Yep. Thank you. John chapter 4, verse 2 is where it says he didn't baptize anyone. Acts chapter 11, look at verses 1 through 14. I, I'm just going to read this to you quickly just to illustrate the fact that God desires families to come to know him. It says, Now the apostles and the brothers who were, who were throughout Judea 
heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. This is Cornelius' story that's being recounted here. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to the uncircumcised men and you ate with them. Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me, looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of the prey, a prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent to me, from, in which we were sent so as we were sent to me from Caesarea, and the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and sent, say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. Did you see that? When the message, when the angel came and spoke to him and says, Hey, go send for Peter, the angel said, This is for you and who? Your household. Now, it doesn't mean that if you're saved, everybody in your family is automatically saved. The scripture doesn't teach that. But it does show us that God's desire is that you and your whole household be saved. I mean, do we not agree he wants the whole world to be saved? Can you not assume that he desires your whole family to be saved as well? Now, so that's what I just say to you, folks. As we get close to the end, have you been faithful to teach your children and your grandchildren of things of the Lord? That's a responsibility that's been given to God, by God to you. You can sit home and talk about all you want and say, well, I didn't like that lesson, and that Sunday school teacher is doing a really bad job. That's okay. They're supposed to be round two or three or four, not round one. Have you done it? Have you done it? Unfortunately, the gospel is going to divide families. Now, we're going to take the time to look there, but if you look later on at Matthew 10, verses 16 through 21, if you look at the context, Jesus is talking about when the tribulation time comes. It's going to be daughter against mother and father against son, and they're going to hand each other over to be persecuted. During the tribulation period, the gospel is actually going to divide families. That's a sad, sad thing. But right now, we're not there, are we? God desires for people to come to know Him and families to come to know Him. We talked last week about why there's a promise for a longer life for obedience to our parents. And I don't want to get into that too, too much, but I just, God showed me something since last week that I just want to add to that. Go with me to Proverbs chapter 4. Verses 1 through 27. Proverbs 4. Look at verses 1 through 27. It says, Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast to my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she'll guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Hear, my son, and accept my words that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked. And do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not go out on it. 
turn away from it and pass on, for they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble, for they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, and for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all of your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Here in this, in this proverb, you see the parent saying, look, I was taught this by my father. I'm passing it on to you now. Follow wisdom. Follow truth. Avoid the ways of the wicked. What would make this hard to listen to? How about if that parent hadn't done it himself? I'm sorry? Hypocrisy. Becky and I have had the privilege over the years uh, to do dating and sexuality seminars with young people. We used to do it a lot more when we were younger and kids thought we were cool. <laughs> but one of the coolest things was when we would sit there and talk to them and teach them the scriptures about sexual purity and waiting until your marriage for sex. Was the inevitable question would come up. Did you? And we could look at them and say yes. I was a 25-year-old virgin when I got married by the grace of God. And Becky was a 21-year-old virgin when we got married. And we're the only people we've ever been with. And God's ways are best. Folks, let me just tell you, the Bible says that we're to teach them. We need to live it too, don't we? We need to live it as well. Now, interestingly enough, though, too many people get focused on the fact of, they say, well, I know of people that followed their parents' instruction and they died early. Doesn't it say you promised long life? No, 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 that's not what it's talking about. And actually, I don't have the time to go into it. But if you do a full study of what he's talking about here, especially in those verses that talk about the way of the righteous is like the first day of dawn, growing brighter and brighter and brighter and continuing on, the context of these passages actually, go back to chapter 3 of Proverbs, right there in chapter 4. Look at Proverbs 3, verse uh, 33. All right. It says, The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Right? Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. The wise will what? Inherit, Inherit honor. When is this inheritance going to happen? In his kingdom to come. Folks, I want you to understand, part of this promise of long life and blessings is not only here. It's really also for the life to come. That's when the reward is going to be. And that's why if you look at Psalm 73, the psalmist says, my, my foot had almost slipped because I envied the wicked. I saw how they're just not following God and everything they do prospers and their bodies are strong. And I envied them. But then he said, I remembered. I remembered their end. I remembered what's going to happen to them in the end. Surely you're good to those who follow you and trust you. You need to understand we have gotten so focused on seeing the results. Well, Jim, I tried that, that whole promise of following God, you know, that, that, oh, you still don't understand. You're looking for the instant result. God is saying this wisdom will carry you through all of life. All of life. The attitude that says, well, I tried it and didn't work doesn't match up with what the Bible's teaching. So uh, those of you parents who um, teach your children, 
are they going to perfectly obey? No. So what do you, do you say, <laughs> did you, do we, and we're all, we all struggle, right? So what do you teach them? This is truth. Come back onto the path. This is truth. Come back onto the path. This is truth. Come on back onto the path. And you get to teach them about who God is. A big part of who God is is a God of mercy, a God of love, a God of forgiveness and patience. It's a, you get to, you've experienced a lot of who God is through some of your mistakes, have you not? That's the way you can teach them about the Lord. Don't teach them that you have to do it perfect or you're out. Teach them about, you say, well, Jim, I wasn't a virgin. That's okay. What has God taught you through that? Has he taught you that there are consequences for wrong choices? But has he also not taught you that he still loves you? And that he'll take what you've got and turn it into something beautiful? Teach them about the Lord. Teach them about the Lord. Uh, note also, Paul clarifies that parents, especially fathers, are not to abuse this command to obey their parents. You see what he, go back here in chapter 6. He says, uh, uh, fathers, verse 4, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline or the teaching. That word discipline actually means more teaching than it does spanking. In the discipline or the teaching and the instruction of the Lord. Some parents, unfortunately, in their desire to get control of their families, have tried to become... Because I said so. Josh McDowell puts it really well. He says, rules without relationship equals rebellion. I'm going to tell you that right now. If you haven't learned it, learn this phrase. Rules without relationship equals rebellion. Let me share a little funny story that might help you understand the importance of this. We were sitting at the dinner table about six months ago. And... Uh, we were listening to some music on the computer that we have a lot of times playing while we sit there at dinner and we're listening to music. And this little children's song came up that had been on the, on the computer for a long time. And it's a silly little song that our kids learned at Ocean Breeze Elementary School. And it just kind of goes, a tootie-ta, a tootie-ta, a tootie-ta-ta. And as they sing it, they're supposed to shake their arm and then they shake this. And at the end of the song, the whole choir is supposed to turn around and shake their booty. And Nicole goes, I remember that song. I came home in tears. This is my daughter that's in college now. She was 20, uh, she's 20 now, she's probably 19 at the time. And she said, I remember that song. I came home in tears because I was so afraid because they're gonna make me shake my booty and we weren't allowed to shake our booty. <laughs> she actually, she didn't say booty, she said butt. <laughs> and I said, yeah. And I said, I remember when you were little and you weren't even allowed to say butt. Now you're sitting at the dinner table saying, but <laughs> we're not mad. I said, how come you're allowed to say, but now when before you weren't? She thought about it and she thought, I don't know. How come the rule changed? I said, here's why. And I saw it was a great opportunity to teach. I said, when you were little, you didn't know when it was appropriate to use the word, but and when it wasn't appropriate to use the word, but you didn't know when to shake your booty was OK and when to shake your booty wasn't OK. And because of that, we as parents had to give you strict rules. You can't say but ever. You can't shake your booty ever. As you get older, we have been teaching you how to listen to the spirit and recognize situations and understand what's going on and when it's appropriate and when it's not. And as you have proven yourself responsible and understanding, we lessen the rules so that you become a person who follows the Lord. That's where a lot of parents have made a mistake. The rules they had, because of the child's young, youngness and not understanding, became the rules for the rest of their life. 
and they never taught them how to move away from the rules into, well, isn't that what God did with us? Amen. Didn't he start off and say, here's my law? What was the purpose of the law? To show you can't do it. But once we understood we couldn't do it, now he moved us into a relationship of grace where we're no longer under the law. And he wants us now to listen to his spirit as when it's appropriate and when it's not appropriate. When it's okay to do these things and when it's not okay to do these things. When it's okay to have an alcoholic drink, when it's not okay to have an alcoholic. Do you understand what I'm saying? As the Bible teaches. But there are those who unfortunately try to become, I'm in charge, follow my rules at all times. And that's not who God is either. It's legalism. Let me just tell you, some parents are unfortunately arbitrary and inconsistent in their parenting, even hypocritical, like you said, Chris, in their use of authority, so much so that they cause bitterness and resentment in their children. Don't do this. All right, now let me just say this as well, though. Satan is going to try to cause a rift between you and your parents. It's natural. It's, he's going to do it. He's going to strive to cause a rift between you and parents. He did between you and your parents. He's going to have it try to happen between you and your kids. All I'm saying to you is this. Don't let them have a real reason. Don't let them have a real reason. Let me give you an example from 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter 3, listen to verses 14 through 17. Uh, here it's an illustration talking about how we're to live in our conduct in this world. But I think it works real, real well for what we're talking about here as well. 1 Peter 3, look at verses 14 through 17. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you'll be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ, as, Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for, the reason, for a reason for the hope that's in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, even if it's by your kids, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Satan's going to try to cause problem between you and your kids. Don't give them a reason. Live a godly life, live a pure life, live an obedient life, show them the love of God. And even when they try to say, but they always, well, I got a problem with them. I don't know why, but I do. You know, you're going to be able to diffuse some of that. Yes, sir. It occurs to me that uh, parents can hide behind the rules <clears throat> to avoid having to grow up themselves uh, spiritually. That's a really good point. And churches do the same. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. Um, if you didn't hear what he said, a lot of parents will hide behind the rules so they don't have to grow up spiritually themselves. And a lot of churches do the same thing. As you've heard me say before, um, I'm against the whole idea of churches being run by policies. Especially when the scriptures say that in each situation we're to pray and what does God want us to do in this situation? What would God have us do in this situation? As I've showed you over and over that God didn't duplicate his methods. In each situation, they were to seek the Lord and what he told them to do in that situation was what they were to do. There are principles to be followed for sure, but when it comes to the specifics, you're not going to find God doing it the same way every time. But we do sometimes to keep ourselves from growing in our walk with the Lord. It's easier. Everybody just wants the rules. Everybody just wants the rules. Just tell me what the rules are. And God says, that's not how I want a relationship with you. It's not about rules. Paul in verse 4 goes on and says that parental instruction needs to be of the Lord. All right. Again, like I've already talked about, spend some time teaching your kids about the Lord. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, you don't have to turn there, but Paul says, whatever is lovely, whatever is pure, whatever is a good report, think on these things, and the God of peace will be with you. But then he says in the next verse, and whatever you have heard from me or seen in me, what did he say? Put it into practice. Put it into practice. In 2 Timothy 
chapter 1, verse 13. Let me show you two places real quick right along that same line. 2 Timothy chapter uh, 1, verse 13. Paul says to Timothy, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. <laughs> How many of you would feel comfortable saying to somebody, hey, just live your life like I live my life with Christ and you'll be good? <laughs> hey, he's saying, follow me as I follow Christ. But look at what it says in, in verse 5. He says in chapter 1, verse 5 of 2 Timothy, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. He had a wonderful heritage. Oh, and guess what? Dad doesn't even seem to be in the picture. We know that his dad wasn't a believer. But that didn't mean that his grandmother and his mother weren't living for the Lord. And they must have had a tough situation being unequally yoked. But they were following God and they were teaching wisdom and they say, here's the path, stay on it. Here's the path, stay on it. And Timothy became one of the great leaders in the church. Now, he then moves on in chapter 6 to the slaves or bond servants. And, and, and for the sake of time, we're going to move on to this because I want to finish this section. So we really need to get into the armor of God next week and really spend most of next week and part of the week after in that section. So I want to finish tonight in this section here. But keep in mind, as we deal with this word slave, it causes this reaction in most of us to go, slavery is evil, slavery is bad. You've got to keep in mind the slavery that our country had to deal with, which was horrible, is not the type of slavery that was going on at that time in that day. And I can show you scripturally that it wasn't the same. Because back in that day, to be a slave really wasn't that bad of a thing. Slaves are actually considered part of the family. And a lot of people would sign themselves back up to be a slave when they were set free. Remember, God had set up every seven years they'd be set free. And on the year of Jubilee, they'd be set free. And many of them would sign themselves up. And some of them would even let their, their owners mark them as theirs in their ear. And mark them as theirs and say, I want to stay with you for the rest of my life and to be your servant because of how they were treated. In Galatians chapter 4, just back up one book, Galatians chapter 4, look at verses 1 and 2. As Paul is teaching about uh, what happens when we come to faith in Christ and how the, the law was given as a guardian to kind of, kind of control us a little bit, if you will, for a time. But once we come to faith in Christ, we're set free. In chapter 4 of Galatians, look at verses 1 and 2. Paul uses the illustration of the relationship between slaves and their masters. Then he says, I mean that the heir as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. He's not saying it's a bad thing. He's saying you're in the same relationship as a slave. Slave's like a child. Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. And then he goes on to teach about that. We also, when we came to faith in Christ, we're no longer under the, 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 the guardians and the rule of the law. We've now moved into the freedom of, of children, and we're to follow in a relationship with Christ. But look at what he said. He said, hey... The heir, the children, were just like the slaves, and the slaves were just like the children until that time. That what he said was the slaves and the children of the owner had the same level of relationship. Doesn't sound like a bad thing. Actually, it was, was, wasn't that bad of a thing. And actually, you don't see the scriptures really talking about abolishing slavery and all that kind of stuff. Please don't hear me wrong. What it turned into needed to be abolished. But at this time, the purpose was you're to live in whatever situation you're in for the glory of God. All the way through scriptures, you say, you're in this situation, don't seek to be out of it unless that's God's plan for you. Follow God and wherever it is that he's got you to be. So <clears throat> Paul was reminding the slaves of their roles in obedience to the Lord. Paul also understood that slaves and masters were both equal in God's eyes. We see that in this passage. And he's reminding the masters. He said, look, you might be given that role of master in this situation, but the same Lord that's your Lord is also the same Lord that's the Lord of that slave if they're a brother in Christ. 
And I want you to see that. As a lot of you may not even understand this book, it's the book of Philemon. Go to Philemon, and we're going to read verses 8 through 22. Philemon, verses 8 through 22. I always bait you with waiting for someone to say what chapter so I can say you've never read Philemon. But nobody bit. Good for you. Philemon, there's only one chapter. Philemon, verses 8 through 22. In this situation, Paul, he has uh, met this slave who has run away from his owner, Philemon, Onesimus. All right? Onesimus has run away. He was a slave for Philemon. He has run away from his owner. And in doing so, he ends up meeting Paul and Paul's journeys, and Paul leads him to the Lord. And he now becomes a brother in Christ, and now Paul says to Onesimus, you need to go back. You need to go back to your owner Philemon. And he sends this letter with him. And listen to what he says here now. He says, accordingly, verse 8, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, Philemon, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. By the way, how come Paul had the authority to command Philemon to take him back, but as a brother? How come Paul had the authority to do that? He said, I could. He was an overseer. He was an apostle. He had been given that authority in the church. Scripture says, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12, respect those who are over you in the Lord and hold them in high regard because of their work. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, obey your leaders. Folks, we need to get back to letting those whom God has given that authority to lead. And they need to do it in the way that they're going to be held accountable, the Bible says. But stop wanting to have equal say and you will find your following of the Lord Jesus Christ so much more fun in your church. If you didn't have to worry about every little thing, it actually is freeing. It's actually freeing. But he says, I could command you to do what is required. Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man now and a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. In other words, when he became, I became his spiritual father, if you will, when he trusted Christ. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. And I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. You want to talk about a great way to lead. There you go. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Now, what's Paul doing right now? Where's Paul right now? Is he making any money right now? Is he, has he got an income of any sort? Yet his attitude is so understanding that if there's something that I'm supposed to do, God will provide the money. I've learned the secret, he says in Philippians chapter 2, of being content in whatever circumstance I'm in. I know it is to have a lot. I know it is to have a little. And I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And he says, as he's sitting in prison, probably got no income. Hey, whatever he owes you, you just charge it to me. Well, how are you going to pay it, Paul? I ain't worried about it. God's going to take care of that. Boy, I'm starting to get to that point where I just, I believe God's going to do everything. Becky and I are striving right now to live with this mindset. We ha we will, we're going to live as we have everything we need. Or we will have everything we need. And that's going to keep you from buying stuff you don't need. But at the same time, if it's a need, write the check. God's going to take care of it. Just do it. I'm not going to worry about whether no way have the money. Do it. If it's a need, just do it. God's going to take it. And we have been watching him 
provide in ways that you can't even imagine. It's been cool. It keeps us from wanting stuff we don't want, and it makes us not panic when we have needs and when the car breaks down again, which it has, but don't worry about that because God takes care of it. He said, receive him as you would me, and if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ, confident of your obedience. I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I'll be graciously given to you, too. Hey, you know what? I'm also thinking God might be getting me out of here, so uh, make, the, make sure you wash the sheets before, since whoever was there before. Do you see it? He says, look, he was your slave, but now he's your brother. Take him back, but not only as your slave, but now as your brother. You still have the same roles. He's going to have his role, you're going to have yours. But you need to see each other as equal in the Lord. That's so important. You know, in our churches today, people still think I'm closer to God than they are. I had a man today show up where I was speaking, and he walked up after I was done preaching, and he said, what's your name? And I said, it's Jim. I said, what's your name? He said, Dennis. He said, are, are you a pastor? I said, yes. He said, then can I, can I just call you Pastor Jim? I'm like, no, just call me Jim. Oh, I can't do that. Oh, what do you do in the church? Well, I'm an usher. Can I call you usher? <laughs> hey, sound man, how's it going? <laughs> Folks, we all have different roles, but we're all equal in the eyes of God. I'm not closer to God than in it. So many people think that if I pray, people are going to listen more than if, he, than if you were praying. Oh, we, we, we've missed it. We've missed it. We have different roles, but we're equal in the eyes of God. And he's just talking to the slaves. And it's, it's interesting that in the context here, it's tied to children obey your parents, slaves obey your masters. There was that similar context. It's interesting, though, here. He says, look at Ephesians 6. He, he kind of puts the masters in their place. And if you don't catch this, you, you, you'll miss something kind of cool. How does he describe the masters in verse 5? He calls them what? Earthly masters. There's a little bit of a reminder there. <laughs> in other words, he reminds them of the fact that their position is limited <laughs> and transitory. It's just for a period of time. You're an earthly master. Actually, a literal translation would be masters according to the flesh. In other words, is our flesh not passing? You're only going to be a master over this guy for a temporary period of time. And actually, the Bible says that typically how things are on the earth are going to be flip-flopped in heaven. So keep that in mind. Earthly master. Master of the flesh. And here's the other part of it that you might not have caught either. Not only are you a master of the flesh, you're only a master for a temporary period of time. You cannot control his spirit and his soul. Folks, you need to understand that's how we need to serve the Lord. Some of you might be in a bad marriage right now and the husband doesn't know the Lord. and He thinks it's his job to boss you around. Submit yourself to your husband as to the Lord, but understand that you're doing it for Christ. And it's your opportunity to worship. And that's what he's saying to the slaves. He says, in your role of obedience to God and obedience to your master, this is your opportunity to worship God. God, I'm doing this for you. I mean, let's just be honest. If God were to pull up and say, hey, could you wash my car for me? What would you do if God, if Jesus were to say to you, would you wash my car, what would you do? You would say, do you want it double waxed? <laughs> right? If you're in a relationship where you're a servant, an employee, and the one that's over you says, wash my car, 
You want it double waxed? Because you're doing it to the Lord, right? You watch what God does when you give them your best. It's going to change. It's going to turn heads. Well, as we saw in 1 Peter chapter 3, they're going to ask you to give reason for the hope that lies within you. Why? Because even though they're trying to slander you, you're living obediently and above and beyond. What did Jesus say? If someone asked you to carry their stuff a mile, what are you to do? Go to. By the way, a lot of you may not know the teaching of that time. Back in that day, because of the Roman occupation, by law, the Roman soldier could command you to carry his stuff, and you had to, but all you had to do by law was a mile. Once the mile came, you could have dropped the stuff and walked off. Jesus says, if they ask you to carry something for a mile, carry it too. And you know that that soldier's going to go, why are you still doing it? Well, I just want to. I'm enjoying my talk with you. Let's keep walking and talking. Who are you? But see, he gets all caught up in, well, I have rights. No, you don't. You have been bought with a price. You have a master now. It was not this boss. It's who? It's the Lord Jesus. And he says, live for me. You know, in all of our areas of struggle with sin, it's our opportunity to worship him when we lay down those things that tempt us. Some of you guys may struggle with lust and looking at things you're not supposed to look at. You know what? It's a great opportunity for show you chance, chance to worship the Lord. Lord, I don't really have a whole lot in my paycheck to come bring to the altar at, on Sunday, but I can give this to you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn it off. I'm going to cancel the subscription. I'll do, I'm going to do this as a worship review. Whatever it is, there's ways that we can submit to the authority of the Lord. Now, he says something there here, though, in verse 5 that we've got to deal with real quickly. It says, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with what? This is why you've got to understand the whole of Scripture to interpret the Scripture. Remember, like I taught you before, if you're going to pull out an interpretation from the Word of God, you've got to check the context, and then once you think you have the right interpretation, you check that interpretation against the whole of Scripture. Does the Bible teach that we're to fear man? Not at all. You look later on at Luke chapter 12, verses 4 through 7. Jesus says, I'll tell you who you should fear. Don't fear man who after the killing of the body can do, can't do do anymore. You, you don't need to fear man. Fear who? You fear God who has the power to do something after your body's dead. He can still do something to you. Once your body's dead, man can't do anything more to you unless he's a mortician. But, uh, um, but, uh, but after that, God still has control, doesn't he? So when he's saying, obey your masters with fear and trembling, he's saying, and not saying, be afraid of your master. He's saying, you need to remember who's really your master. Fear and trembling refers to our sincere understanding of our allegiance to Christ and the fact that we'll be judged by him at the Bema seat. That's what it's talking about. Philippians 2, verse 12 and 13, it says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to work according to his good purpose. I don't want you to separate those two. That number 13 between the two is how it causes us to miss what's really going on. We look at verse 12 and it says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Oh, I might lose my salvation. That's not what it's saying in the context. Work out your salvation, what's been given to you already, with fear and trembling, for it is God. You are to take serious this relationship you've given because 
It's God who's now inside of you. That's what's really going on here. Living and obeying with fear and trembling is not to fear punishment. Because remember, if you think God's going to punish you for what you've done, you really don't believe Jesus took the full punishment for your sin. Jesus took the full punishment for your sin. His wrath has been fully poured out on sin. It is finished. It's paid in full. God will never, if you're a Christian, he will never punish you for anything you do. He cannot. It's already been done. It's not a fear of punishment, but it's to live every minute of every day as if we truly believe that God sees everything and he also knows our hearts and our thoughts. You can fool man, but you can't fool God. Fear and trembling is a living our life with an understanding that God is seeing everything I do. And one day when I stand before him, he's not going to determine whether or not I get into heaven. That's already been given to me. He is going to determine whether or not I am rewarded for eternity or whether I suffer loss. I don't know about you. If Jesus says store up treasure in heaven, I want to store up treasure in heaven. I don't want to experience suffering and loss. People say, well, there's no, there's no tears in heaven. Actually, the Bible says that there probably will be. It says he will wipe away every tear. Doesn't that sound like there might be some who are actually crying, who will at that moment have it removed? Folks, I want you to understand this fear and trembling thing is not, oh, God's going to get me. But it's to take serious that God knows everything you think, everything you do. He's with you at all times when your wife ain't even looking. Those of you that are dealing with stuff when your wife has gone to bed and you don't think anybody knows, he knows. Take it serious. Oh, well, I, this message doesn't really apply to me much. You know, us children and my kids are gone and, and the slaves. I'm, no, no, no. He's actually, there's a principle here that rises through all of this. That's for all of us. Who is your master? Lord Jesus, have you just given him lip service? Isn't that what it says? Not with lip service or an eye service, but from the heart. Well, let me read it to you. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. Well, actually, you're really fear and trembling with God. With a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will to the Lord as not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Oh, it is talking about us. This is talking about us. Live your life in such a way that you understand your master, Lord Jesus, is watching at all times, and you know that you're going to be held accountable for it. And then lastly, he says to those who are actually in authority in some way or another, stop threatening. Stop threatening. Does your Lord threaten you? No. He, he gives us caution. He gives us counsel. He tells us, hey, if you do this, then this will happen. We learned with our children, instead of threatening them, you know, how many times have you watched parents say, if you don't stop that, I'm going to rip your arm off and beat you to death with it. You know, and the kid sit there and goes, yeah, I, I believe that. You know, and they just keep right on going. We've learned over the years, tell our kids ahead of time, here, if you do this, you'll be rewarded. If you do this, these are the consequences. And then when they crossed that line, they, we said, reminded them, this is what we had already said was going to happen. So we let them know ahead of time. That's all God's doing. He doesn't need to threaten us. I'm going to read to you one last passage of Scripture, and we'll close with this. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, here Paul, uh, sorry, Peter is writing to elders, those in authority in the church. And listen to what he says. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ 
as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight or your authority, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain. Don't be doing it for money, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge. And some of your translations of NIV says not lording your authority over them, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Did you catch that? The whole context all along is whatever situation you're in. Ultimately, God's put you in that situation and he's put you in that situation for a reason. But ultimately, you're going to be held accountable for how you responded to the Lord one day. Down the road, we'll spend some time and we get look at the Bema Seat of Christ and the Judgment Seat of Christ. How the Bible says we're going to be held accountable after salvation for everything we've done in the body, whether good or worthless. I don't think very many Christians really understand that one day they are going to stand before the Lord Jesus and they are going to be judged. You say, wait a minute, Jim, I thought we're not going to be judged. We're already in heaven. Yeah, you're guaranteed heaven. But between now and then, there's not only going to be the Judgment Seat of Christ, there's also going to be a millennial kingdom where you will be given responsibility on the earth according to how faithful you've been with what you've been given here. What did Jesus say? Well done, good and faithful servant. You'll be in charge over 10 cities. What does that mean? Well, there's a real kingdom coming on this earth, folks. And it's tied to how we do here. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6 and following, that only one foundation can be laid, that which is Christ Jesus. And each one needs to be careful how they build on it. And he talks about the wood, hay, the stubble, the gold, silver, precious stones, and each one's work will be tested by fire. And if it survives, he'll be rewarded. If what he has built is burnt up, listen closely, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Folks, my prayer is that when we see each other in heaven and during the millennial kingdom, your clothes won't smell like smoke. <laughs> Let me pray for us. Lord, we're about to move next week into the section that deals with the full armor of God and really understanding now that behind the scenes, the real world exists. And that there's a battle going on in the spiritual realm and we're caught in the crosshairs. Yet most Christians don't understand the reality of who you are within us. So, Lord, I just pray, I pray that you bring us back next week with a, with a notepad and pen and a heart open to receive what it is you want to teach us so we can really understand what's going on. But, Lord, you've already given us a glimpse of this spiritual realm right now. And you've shown us that whether we're children or parents, whether we're husbands or wives or fathers or mothers, or slaves or masters, whether we're under someone's authority or whether we're in authority, you are watching at all times. And you desire for us to do what it is that you've taught us because you're watching and to do what you've asked us to do, no matter what situation we're in, what role we've been given, whether we're male or female, slave or free, you want us to walk in obedience to what you've asked us to do in the situation that we're in. And we're to do it as our worship of you. And we're to take it serious. That's what the fear and trembling means. We're to take it serious. Lord, it's been hard for most of us in the church today to even take serious these things because very few people have been taught about the millennial kingdom. Very few people have been taught about the judgment seat of Christ. So, Lord, I just pray now 
that we will at least begin the journey of looking into the scriptures to say, Lord, what, what is it that you're saying about this uh, being reckoned, this judgment? What's coming? What's it going to look like? What are you looking for from me? And Lord, take our eyes off of what's really going on or take our eyes off of what we see is going on and help us to really understand the deeper issues that are going on in the spiritual realm and line our hearts up with that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks.